What's going on, everybody? This is Jeff Hillen from sunny Southern California, the first in-person interview. And I've got an incredible guest, Zygmunt Bala, President and CEO of Ziglip. Zygmunt, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Jeffrey. Welcome to Southern California, to Ziglip Material Handling. I'm excited to be here. It's been a journey to get here, but I think your journey to get here is even better. So without further ado, can you tell everybody who you are? what Ziglift is, and uh, what you guys do. I'm Zygmunt Bala, President, CEO, and founder of Ziglift Material Handling in Southern California, and we have been on mission since 2002 to provide the best storage solutions with the best pricing possible to our customers, first locally and then nationwide. Excellent. So this is selling stories, so there's a lot of stories that are told, and I want to tell the first story of how I met Zygmunt. So Zygmunt had ball materials in Pennsylvania, He's based here in California, has multiple locations throughout the country. And I had promised Zygmunt we would at Lift Incorporated store some materials for him for a price. And it made sense instead of shipping it to one of the other locations. Zygmunt was running a little behind. I never met you before. And I will be honest, I was a little angry. And I'm like, is this guy going to show up today or is, is he just going to blow me off? But, you know, instantly after I met you and you got to tell me, you know, we got connected and we started talking, I got to learn more about your story. And I was just like, this guy's story has to be told. So I'm really excited for you to be here on Selling Stories. And if you would, I'd like to phrase it as the American dream, because I truthfully believe that's what your story is. If you could tell people about it, how you got here, and uh, we'll just keep rolling. So if you're asking me how I got here, I came with uh, Swiss Flight 41 from Zurich. <laughs> that's and, detail. And I remember back in 1992, February 19th at 9.30 in the evening, landed in Southern California with $600 in my pocket and zero English, so. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm hoping you have a little bit better of both and the English sounds fine and you have more than $600. Um, so what brought you here in the first place? What was the main reason that you wanted to come to America? So basically the dream. Uh, I had a brother who came previously to America and he sent me a postcard and I saw the, the opportunities, the freedom on the palm trees hanging. <laughs> I had no option just to come and try it, but. Even before that, my great-grandpa used to be here in the early 1900s in Detroit and Toronto, and we had something in our family to go ahead and just uh, bring it back alive again. You decided to come here. You came from Zurich. You made the plan. What was your plan after arriving? So your feet hit the ground, and what, what was your intent? What did you want to do, and what happened? So I had no option, just wait in the morning. So when I woke up in the morning, uh, I saw the good weather in Southern California, the orange trees blooming, and kind of smelled the freedom and the opportunities that uh, in Southern California. So I decided at that moment that I'm not going to go back. Whatever it takes, if it's going to take me five, ten years, I'm going to stick it out and stay in America. You're in the material handling business. What was, I guess, your first opportunity to get into it, and how did you end up here? What was the first part of getting into material handling? So um, nothing by, by uh, I would say, happening without a good reason. So uh, I happened to arrive into a family, and um, I, I went to the Hungarian Baptist Church, and I met with a person that he's been already uh, working on forklifts in downtown L.A., and, and he introduced me to the industry, into the material handling, but again, with uh, no English and no tools. One thing you have, the, the self-motivation, the willingness that you either you make it or break it or go back. So I decided to, 
to make it. And um, he introduced me to the company, and they hired me on the spot. But again, I had the, the problem on how I'm going to work, no tools. So I had $600 in my pocket, went that day to Sears, and I bought my red toolbox and some tools and showed up next day to work. So how much money did you have left over after you invested in yourself? Nothing. I've been waiting till Friday to get paid. <laughs> well, let's see if we can find HR and see if we can get something figured out. So you had you had no skills to actually work on the forklift? Did you get training? And how quickly were you able to adapt? I had some mechanical training back in Romania when I went to uh, a trade school on working on cars. And uh, so I had an idea how to approach the the part of working on uh, forklifts a and they took the time they trained me and i was able to work with the company until they closed n another two and a half years so you said you didn't know any english i have to imagine some of the customers when you went in did know english and they may not have spoken hungarian or your native tongue so how were you able to interact with people when you couldn't connect with them did you point to papers or what did you do well uh in the first two, three years, uh, I took some English as a second language classes, and that's where I got my basic English. Uh, and then working for the company at Caterpillar uh, with coworkers, I, I learned uh, the basic English. And then also same thing during those years, I was exposed to a lot of Latino friends and then also customers that I learned also Spanish. Excellent. That's amazing. And it's hard to fathom that somebody would come in here, have to buy their own tools today, have to learn a new language, start from zero. And as you can see in the background, this is an impressive facility, not just the only one you have. So you were a mechanic. What desires did you have to be bigger than what you just started at? Did you just put your head down and work for a couple of years? Did you have a plan to start a business? What was that like? Uh, I always had a, a plan to start my own business. I always had that entrepreneurial uh spirit in me to, to do something better with my life because I know my, my parents would beg me to come back to Hungary, Romania and, and start something with my life over there. But I told them, I'm not going to go back unless I can make it here. But so far, thank God, I, I made it yeah. in America. Did you ask them if they started having any palm trees there? Because, you know, you kind of liked them when you got here. And I don't know if you wanted to go back. So far, no palm trees and no plans to go back. <laughs> well, that's great. You have a business that you got introduced to through, you know, the church, your first position. Did it just stuck out to you like this is what I'm going to be meant to do the rest of my life in some capacity? Or did you ever think about doing something else, even though you were working on forklifts? Actually, I tried multiple businesses during that time. I never settled with a single job and I never settled with just having a, a, a paycheck. So I always either sold cars or traded some items that I can put my hands on. And then also I used to import glass products from Europe and, and always had something in the back burner that was able to carry on and, and build up a business where we are today. That's, so you said you sold cars. Do you have any stories from selling? Because now, you know, you're the CEO, pre, CEO president. You have to be able to tell people that are getting into sales what your expectation and car sales aren't the easiest. Do you remember a time that you sold a car or have a, a story that sticks out to you? I remember when I bought my first car and uh, it was again less than a thousand dollar and I worked on it on weekends and then sooner or later I found out the value it's a lot more than what I bought it for so I sold my first car and uh, during the time that I was a mechanic with Caterpillar and then also working in downtown LA at the produce market fixing forklifts 
I recall I sold over 100 cars as a private party. Uh, uh, I bought the cars on weekends and worked on it during the week. And then by Friday, Saturday, it was uh, listed again, the cars for sale. Uh, yeah. yeah. So anybody out there, you know, it's important to recognize you came to America, you had a plan in your mind to execute a long-term goal of starting a business, but it just didn't happen. There was a lot of work, a lot of risk, and a lot of different ventures that I'm sure some build up some opportunity for you to leave at some point, others that maybe didn't work out quite as you envisioned. What would you tell somebody that was thinking about starting their own business from what you went through and what you um, experienced? Dreaming is not enough to, to be either rich or be famous or do anything in life. Dreaming is not enough. You have to work hard on it and then a dream will become reality. So you worked hard for a long time and you mentioned, you know, even to become a U.S. citizen, it wasn't an overnight thing. So besides just all the effort and emphasis you put at starting your own business, you also want to become a U.S. citizen. What was that like for you? Why? Absolutely. It, it took me over 10, 11 years to become a U.S. citizen, and it was the best decision ever in my life because now I feel home in a country where freedom is everywhere. People just need to find and appreciate the, the well-being in America. Yeah, and you know, when we got together today, you were able to share a story of a huge American flag that's you can't miss when you look in your facility. Can you tell us you know, how you came to get that American flag and why you decided to, uh, to take it? Yes, we were doing a large decommissioning in Dayton, Ohio for our customer and uh, the installer brought it to my attention that there is a flag hanging that was uh, at the U.S. Capitol back in 1993. And then I said I would be interested because uh, I'm a proud American and I want to carry the largest flag that I can pass on for generation to my kids and grandkids. And uh, I paid $350 and we put some extra money in it uh, to basically uh, wash it and uh, make it clean. And now we have it hanging at our Rialto facility and uh, there is no price attached to it. I would say it's priceless, basically. I 100% agree. And, you know, you, you walk in, you can't miss it. But the story behind how it got here is, is even better. And uh, your story, too, about how you got here is, you know, probably is the best story that I can remember. Um when you when you started this business, I'm sure there was people that you built a relationship with, end users, and just through your work ethic. What made you finally just say, okay, I'm ready to go all in and and push all your efforts into this business? What was the aha moment, or when did it finally happen? And the hunger I had in me to, to basically create uh, my own business, because again, uh, I know that if I work hard, I I believe. Uh, in a team spirit, teamwork. If I start myself, I will have people lined up with me that uh, we can create something that will last for generations to come. So you started this, I'm sure you have numerous projects. Does any one project stick out to you, whether it was the first project you were part of when you were your own business or any other project that was just really meaningful for you? I can tell you back 21, 22 years ago, one of our largest projects at that time, it was over a half a million dollar and uh, that customer still our loyal customer after um, 20 plus years and they still love working with us because we take care of our customers. Did they, did they know they were your first customer? Did you tell them that you were going to be their first customer? Actually, they knew that uh, I used to service their forklift. So they knew my background and, and then basically they gave me a chance in life to, to, to make it. And I promised them that we're not going to fail them. 
and we made it happen. The project supposed to take over four weeks. We finished up in three and a half weeks. And then uh, the customer, once they got a new location, they trusted us again. So that's how we were able to grow our company year after year, uh, keeping the loyal customers and taking care of them. That's great. And there's something to say, you know, today's world, I think everybody is so focused on social media and providing value to people that don't, don't know they exist. Back then, it probably wasn't as easy to show people and showcase what you do. So how did you grow your market? How did people find out? How did more people find out about you and, and that you existed? Uh, people uh, referred me to, to their friends and other customers that uh, Zeglev will take care of you. They, they never failed me. So basically, word of mouth, word of mouth, it helped us a lot. When you look back at what your business has become from where it started, did you ever imagine that you would be the level you are now doing the type of projects you are now, which I want people to understand what that is and what kind of projects you do? I had big dreams, but not to the scale that we're going to be nationwide in multiple states and uh, work on projects from New Jersey down to San Diego and from Miami up to Seattle. So again, this is a God given. We took the opportunity and we are very blessed to have uh, happy customers. So in material handling, the business that we're familiar with, a lot of it is based off of people having a need or a problem and looking to somebody to solve it or execute on um, an item. So for instance, you see behind us, there's a lot of racking materials. Somebody needs a layout that's going to optimize as much product that they can store in a given amount of space. There's not just a book that you can look at and say, oh, go to drawing five. This is the one for you. It's a creative solution for the customer, their product, and what their intended use is. Why do people choose to work with you? Is it because they feel like you do provide the best solution every time? Or, or why do you think people do business with Ziglif? getting done behind the scene before we go and present uh, a, a project to our customers. And based on that, they decided to, to, to go with us because uh, we will educate them on what will be the best solution for their need. So I know you really appreciate when a project is exactly the plan, but the one I know in this industry doesn't have that all thought, frankly, there's a lot of challenges. So when you add one of those challenges to come up, how do you face them? How does your team face them? What is your culture? So basically we stand behind, we take ownership of the project and it's not done on that customer is happy with what we deliver. Do you have any stories or situations specifically of the project that didn't go quite right or quite according to plan you can share that uh, people can learn from? Absolutely. So if a customer decide that, that, you know, they, they order a use material and they were, uh, a little bit disappointed that they thought it's they gonna get like brand new material. So we went, picked out all the material and replaced with something that was satisfied. It's funny you say that. So again, people that are in the material handling industry, a common colored being, which is it's orange, is orange and the upgrades are green. And I remember a time where I was selling used material and the customer didn't specifically say that they cared about the color. Both the colors that showed up looked kind of like Easter eggs. There was, you know, bright pink and lime green, and it was customer facing. It wasn't just in the back of the building. It was actually in front of the retail store. And they were upset because they thought I knew enough about their business to make the educated decision that that would not be acceptable. And they were right. And it was my fault. And I had to take ownership of that and fix it. So your company's culture is if it's not quite what the customer expects, 
you're going to fix it. Absolutely. Customer satisfaction is the number one priority for us, just to make sure. And I don't recall maybe once in 20 years that one customer uh, tried to take advantage of what we have tried to do for them. So again, we stand behind our product. And one thing unique about your business and the discussions that I've had with you is how willing you are to listen to your customers and look at areas of business that aren't quite your specialty, but to be a turnkey solution. Why do you believe that's the way Deep and do you have any unique situations that you've done or products that you've offered now because of it? Absolutely. So there's a customer demand and uh, we, we are trying to come up with solutions such as uh, network, access, security, video cameras. And then also we do have other new products that we do try now at ZigLab. We have the instant modular product where uh, customer needs a temporary office solutions. We can deliver same day or next day. Anywhere. So temporary solution, what would be a, a good end user for that product and why would they want it? The e-bars work market, logistics customer, uh, let's say they lease a building, uh, ready building, uh, and the PI is not done yet, and, uh, and they have a need for some option space, and that's what we can provide temporary office solutions without a new product. So what I'm hearing is you have customers that come up with the need, and you're willing to explore and do your own research and do the work for them and say, Mr. Cosmo, I listen, here's what I've come up with, dude. This is what you were looking for. That's what you have on the floor right now, but then you're the first one I think for. Is there any products that you ventured in that didn't go well, that you took a risk and maybe it wasn't something that fit? Is there anything that sticks out to you? Yes. So back in the early 2000s, uh, I went to China to start importing electric uh, pallet tax, and I realized short after that either the product would not hold up or require some specialty services. And as you know, it takes a whole thing to, to service customers on the equipment. So we decided to stay away from. Uh... Now, that didn't stop you from getting involved in other things. Your risk taker, your entrepreneurial, I think, you know, just from knowing what you've done, you're probably like it's the typical entrepreneurial DNA. So did that change you in any way from wanting to take more risks in the future? Or did you just know you should evaluate products differently moving forward? So these days I'd be attention more on how we prioritize the, the time that we relate to invest in, in new ventures. So basically uh, we read our focus on what we know the best, the material handling part, pallet racking, shelving, automation, and then some other products that fit into a third part logistics. Now, this is my first time in Southern California, and I think you guys did a bad rap for, you know, just sitting by the beach, hanging out, having a laid-back attitude. You work really hard, and your team works really hard. What should people know about your business that most people that don't know you should So ZLIP has a very unique culture where we uh, take care of our employees and uh, take care of our customers. And uh, I think you need to come and see and experience the culture that ZLIP offers. What's your mission? Like, what kind of core values do you have here that you think matter the most to people that want to work? So basically, we take care of our uh, employees, and uh, they are customer focused. Uh, they are uh, teamwork players, and uh, they do the excellence. And then also, they they take care of each other. So, where's Ziglift going to go in the future? What does the future look like for Ziglift? 
our goal is to grow more into automation and then also solutions that we don't offer yet. Okay. I have some other generic questions I want to ask you. This has been a great interview. I think people are going to really resonate just again. Uh, I told you this. I think in the world today, there's a lot of decisiveness with uh, what people take for granted. And so it is, as Web Zero like, I'm guilty of that, I guess. Uh, you don't know what the other side looks like and freedoms that you you have day in and day out are just what you expect, not necessarily what you strive for. Or uh, you don't know what it's not to have. So hard to appreciate it. For you going from something different compared to what America is. Somebody was going to say, why should they come to America? Why, why do you believe it was the right choice for you? And why should somebody else consider it? If you are a worker, this is your own. It's endless opportunities and people value and appreciate your artwork. If you stand out on any field, it doesn't matter what industry you're a doctor or if you're in the industry world, if you work hard in those chaos. Now, I ask a lot of people on my podcast if there's a book that, that resonates with that. And I don't know. You like, I, don't, I didn't ask you if you sleep. I should ask you that. Do you sleep? I do sleep well. <laughs> when I get to sleep, I sleep well because that's when I'm recharging and getting ready for next day. Are you like a fast charge electric battery where you can fast charge in like an hour and a half? Or how much sleep does it take for you to get back to capacity? Not quite the hour and a half, but if I sleep five to six hours, that's more than enough to get me going for the next 16, 20 hours. There you go. So is there any books that you have read or anything that you've been uh, referenced stood out to you that made a difference in your life? I have to admit that I, I don't read much books because I don't have time for it. I didn't I do read three, four hundred emails a day, but other than that, I have no time to read. No, that's fair. Um, from a mentorship, a lot of people that succeed look up to somebody. Was there anybody that when you got here you looked up to, or is there anybody in business now you look up to, or just you want people to look up to you and hear of that? Well, I do have key people in my life that um, played a key role in. Um, uh, bringing me into business and then watching out for things that the, as a businessman, you have to watch out from finance all the way to with or hang out with. And even up to date, I need to uh, do that. So this is a family owned business. And I know you said you want to keep it that way. Do you look at your family as a way for them, for you to act as a mentor now from what you've learned and the business you built? Yes. Uh, both of my sons, David and Sigma, they are up in the business. Actually, last year they became David Bala became chief operating officer, and Sigmund Bala year became chief revenue officer, and they're both involved. Basically, they breed and live the business from being a small child all the way going through college, working hard, and now having a full time position in the company. I can tell you, without them, the business wouldn't be the same because they basically push me to limits to be better person. To, uh, to be a better businessman and with them being educated, they had a chance to go to college. I never had a chance to go to college. So I'm giving everything I have to push them also to their limits to basically take on the company and advance about four generations. About. Now, just by interviewing you, I can tell that it seems like your passion is still pretty strong. And, it, and maybe it's because I'm not as much of an entrepreneur as you are, but is there ever a point where you're just like, I'm just going to think, the next two weeks off, I don't care. Um, why do you still feel so passionate about growing and moving forward today as you did when you had that vision? I can tell you, just like riding a bike, if you don't pedal, you're going to fall. So I hear uh, this theme of flow, so I have to feed 
be part of the business that I, I breathe and live every day because I know I, I can make a difference in other people's life too. And not only that, but being there as a project manager, the, the sales people with HR, with finance, uh, with people running the company makes a day and night difference on uh, being with them together and running the company. So selling stories, this is based on salespeople and you have salespeople work for you. What advice would you have for somebody that's either thinking about getting into sales or struggling in sales? Either one. Well, uh, it's Zig left. If you want to join, that will make sure that you're never going to get uh, capped off. So the sky is the limit. If you work hard, one thing will make sure that you will be making good money, but you have to do your part. Sure. Well, this has been a great interview. It's been a great opportunity, and I know people are going to appreciate it. Fortunately, my backgrounds don't always look this awesome. I also don't have to. I have had the opportunity to meet the guests in, in person. A lot of this has been remote, so this has been an incredible experience for me to be able to sit with you. Um, I'm going to hopefully get some sun today. I think I'm pretty good. I looked at the seven-day radar, and I don't think there's a cloud in the sky, let alone any rain. So it should be a good experience. I really appreciate your hospitality here in Southern California. My pleasure. Thank you for coming, and hopefully you will have some continuation of, of this conversation. Absolutely. Well, everybody, this was Jeff Hillen, Zeeming Ball here at Zaylift. Again, selling stories. We really appreciate you tuning in, listening. And until the next time, make it a great day. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.